There we go. And three, two, one. What is going on, everybody? It's yours truly, Connor, a.k.a. Okay, Fabe here. Welcome, guys, to episode number six. I can't keep track of these names. Of Wrestling Retrospective, of course, the series with myself and my lovely mother from, or brother from another mother. I almost said mother from another brother. That would have been weird. Jake DeMarco is we're going to cover and go in-depth in a wrestler's career. We've done a bunch of these episodes, and this installment, we're going to be taking a look back at none other than Gregory Shane Helms, also known as The Hurricane. Really looking forward to this, but first and foremost, got to introduce... That brother from another mother, he is, of course, the silent Bob to my Jay. I got with me Jake DeMarco. Jake, how are you this evening? I am excellent, my son. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm excited for this one. Stand back. There's uh, Connor coming through. I've been looking for you know forward to this since you actually came up with the idea a few months back when we laid out kind of a, a roadmap of who we wanted to cover and where we wanted to head to. But uh, even more exciting than I think than just today's episode in general is the fact that we have a poll coming up on the uh, Patreon to determine the next episode's uh, topic at hand. So, Yes, and for, first and foremost, uh, Jake wanted me to let you all know that he apologizes as he's currently scarfing down what any food that he can get a hold of so if you hear him uh eating in the meantime hey listen there's gonna be times where i'm gonna have like a freaking bucket of fried chicken during these things so no no uh no judgment or shame on my end on this one but so here's the deal folks we got a lot of things to go through before we get to this one first and foremost want to thank all you guys for your continued love and support you of course can hear this on youtube you can also hear this on all major podcasting platforms itunes stitcher spotify all the major ones uh that i promote through my various social media you guys can always check on on that uh we've had a lot and i mean a, a huge amount of positive responses uh, once again from the last episode which was part two of The Undertaker's career which has been as of right now the longest episode to date clocking in almost three and a half hours and it's only it's like second half it's not like it's combined it's the second half of Undertaker's career from the American Badass Absolutely. all Seven the way seven hours almost all together <laughs> oh god I mean I, I it's funny so we, we don't really you know me and Jake kind of do a lot of this like by the like the seat of our pants we don't really do a whole lot of in-depth planning i mean we get research and we get everything together but we don't go like to like oh what's the next one and so originally when we were going to do the hurricane we were actually going to do it right after we did the miz and then i said well it's wrestlemania season let's do the undertaker uh so we pushed uh, hurricane actually a little bit back to now and shout out to our friend gorilla strong who's also made the suggestion about doing the hurricane so we're going to give him uh some love for making this suggestion but uh, but jake still a lot of positive feedback uh from last uh, month's episode about undertaker part two yeah we, we got a ton of you know positive results and and people you know a lot of outpouring of support so i really want to thank everybody for that that was so much fun to do and you know like we said if, if you know the uh, topic at hand and uh the person that that's been chosen for the next episode and you have something you want us to add please don't hesitate let us know you know what you want to see included in the episode sometimes you guys might have a you know a background story or something that you feel needs to be included so never hesitate please yeah, our good friend Matt the Misfit decided to uh, to correct me, and, and trust me, by, by all means, like, I know that me and Jake are, like, the super nerds when it comes to, like, out of nowhere knowing, like, so much about wrestling and sewing, so, like, you know, we try to pride ourselves, but trust me, there are times and instances where we don't necessarily, well, get everything right. Uh, Matt the Misfit corrected me. Kane actually was the one who was the first person to ever kick out of the Undertaker's tombstone at WrestleMania 14, so I thought it was maybe Shawn Michaels because of the, you know, the epicness of it all, but I guess Kane was that one so please folks yeah you, you overlook that just because of you know how epic as you as you mentioned that you know encounter was between him and Sean's so 
right and there's so that's certain things that just stand out in your mind <laughs> no you're, you're right and that's kind of where i thought that that's where but maybe again it's just because i think the memory and that moment of him kicking out was so uh epic as we talked about and you guys can go of course hear it in the archives uh for episode number five but um but as jake also alluded to we got a poll coming up and jake do you want to do the honors let them know what we got planned for the next potential episode and how they can get in on it yeah, we uh we like as Connor just said, we have a poll going on. So we have four superstars chosen at this current point in time. Uh we, we had, you know, worked down and, and you know waded through some of our favorites and the four that we've come uh, to, to basically to a crossroads at currently is none other than Dean Ambrose. We felt like you know he was a great choice since he's leaving the company at this point in time. We also went ahead and decided that uh Mr. Perfect None other than Mr. Perfect will go ahead and make the list as well. Connor, if you want to take the last. Yes, we got Miss. We got uh, Dean Ambrose, as as Jake mentioned, with kind of like the idea of uh, him recently leaving the company. We got Mr. Perfect add to the list. Also, a person who has been uh, clamored and enamored by fans to enter in the Hall of Fame. Of course, one of the legendary Hart Foundation members, Owen Hart, has also been added to that list. And then the last one is one of my personal favorites, Jake the Snake Roberts. So what we're gonna do is relatively soon. If you guys haven't already seen it, probably on our social media, it'll be up on my Patreon. It'll be up on my YouTube channel and also be up on my twitter we'll have a poll and probably jake's as well or he'll probably retweet or something like that we'll figure it out but we'll have we'll have the we'll have yep we'll have the four names listed and we'll have it run for about a couple of weeks and whichever wins the poll we'll probably do a, probably a one-two punch we'll do whichever wins first first and whichever wins second second i think that's probably a fair way to go with it what do you think jake absolutely that sounds like a great plan to me but as you mentioned before stay in the back there's a hurricane in my pants. We got to talk about Shane Helms today uh, on uh, this episode of Wrestling Retrospective. And this is going to be interesting because, you know, going into the idea or going into like, you know, chronicling these people's careers, the original idea with Wrestling Retrospective, at least from, you know, me and Jake was kind of like, oh, we're going to we're going to talk about somebody's you know in-depth career. And the last couple ones we kind of knew at least for me anyway, we knew a lot about already going into it because there were a lot of WWE guys. You had Ziggler, Miz, uh, X-Pac, and of course the in-depth one on Taker. But Helms, outside of his WWE run for myself anyway, uh, I didn't really know a lot about him going into this. So this was really refreshing. What about you, Jake? Did you kind of like know a lot already going into this? Or this is like, oh man, this is somewhat relatively like foreign territory for me. A good portion of this is is unfamiliar territory. So when I was researching, you know, his early career before entering uh wcw i had no real knowledge of basically you know the first nine years of his career i knew very little of and uh i i you know was more familiar with his wcw time and then uh much more familiar right. with everything he did in wwe and onward but yeah i i mean i i always admittedly did not watch wcw i would see highlights and things that you know were were big to do's but I was a WWF guy through and through. To me, they were the enemy, and I had no interest, really, in the talent. A lot of it was as well. It's kind of my attitude changed over the years. But when I was younger, I was tired of Hogan and Savage and, you know, the, the click. And I liked the idea of new stars, new talent, and what they were doing on WWF at the time. So I didn't want to see, you know, what I grew up on. I wanted something new in my eyes. And that I really soured on WCW right away. You know, people were jumping ship and then I kind of felt like, oh, you betrayed them. So I had like a, a sense of loyalty. So I, I, I admittedly did not watch much of WCW until 
pretty much when they were bought up by WWE, you know, right. when, that's when I really got into uh, VHS tapes and went back and, and, you know, I had seen, I shouldn't say that because I watched it, you know, early on, early 90s with family, but my own personal viewing habits didn't really revolve around them, you know, mid to late 90s. See, it was different for me, and I, I've mentioned this before, like on different shows and whatnot. That I got into it during the like the root, like the tail end of the Attitude Era. So I didn't even really know that WCW existed until it's like, oh, by the way, we bought this. <laughs> we bought them. Yeah, <laughs> so it now. it was totally foreign foreign to me, and so you know. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get too much in this on my end, but basically, long story short, I, you know, kind of like the snowball effect as far as wrestling goes. And then by the time, like around like the mid 2000s, like you're looking at like 04 to like 08, that's when they, they produced a lot of like the documentaries and stuff. And plus they had all the libraries. And so yeah, once they procured all of that content, I was like, oh, wow, here we go. And home videos came out constantly. And yeah, it, it was an excellent time to be a wrestling fan. That's for sure. Right, and that's where I got all of my knowledge from. So even though I didn't grow up in the um, watching these moments as they happened, I could still appreciate them uh, going back and like you know that's why I'm like oh I remember this, and it's not because I was enjoying it at the moment, but I have gone back and watched stuff from the 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 nineties, the eighties, the seventies, even some of the sixties and fifties. But um, but yeah, but the long story short of this is that you know I didn't know much about Hurricane going into this, but it is interesting because. As you know, we we talked about at the very beginning of all these ones. He did have a interesting start when it came to the wrestling business, as he like a lot of you know some of the bigger names started off earlier than they probably should have at the age of seventeen. Yeah, you know, and 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 before you even get to it, you know, the full on details with him, I was amazed at how integral he played a part in so many wrestlers' careers. I mean, from early on, onward, yeah, he really was a huge benefit and contributor to so many people's careers in the business. I mean, going onward from Sugar Shane Helms upwards, I, I, he just had a way. I mean, he's trained with people. He's got people into the business. And now with him, you know, procuring a backstage role more and working with creative and, and in a PR sense, uh, helping, you know, different brands, it, it's just been, you know, amazing to see just, like I said, how integral he's been to the business. I think going back and, and, and learning this more, you know, I, I kind of hope that people, and I'm sure Jake will pull up matches too, and we'll talk about obviously matches, uh, that they go back and watch his stuff because going back and watching some of his matches, it, it does make me go like, crap, I really didn't appreciate him when he was he was in WWE. I really didn't. Um, but you're right. He was very integral not only in like his, his, like you said, in his career, but also he had like so many like ripple effects, I guess you could say. Um, and obviously, you know, as I mentioned before, Starting off at 17, he was, uh, you know, uh, started off his early career in the home of North, Car home state of North Carolina. So being that young and being a cruiserweight, I mean, for God's sakes, you pretty much know that he's going to involve himself with, uh, he and very close friends with the Hardys and that kind of group of individuals, which is how it kind of all became. It's interesting how they just they suck everybody in over in the North Carolinas and become the House of Hardy, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they they <laughs> they all kind of just mold into one over there.
They just turned to a giant freaking flock. But so Helms started off his career, his career at the uh, wrestling career at the age of 17 in 1991. Won his first title shortly after. Uh, the one I have here as the earliest record was the Southern Wrestling Alliance Light Heavyweight Championship, uh, as uh, he defeated Playboy TC Cruz. Um, Helms spent majority of his career. Yeah, see, even I have a, a bit of a discrepancy too there, not to cut you off, but it says for me that you know he started at the age of 16. So that's that's why oh, you know you when we do these things. Well, no, because I, I see it on Wikipedia, 17, my my other, when I went to the pro wrestling fandom, it said 16, you know, and it, it all kind of lines up because he was born July 12th, 1974, and it looks like he was 17, but I mean, you hear so much up and down, so like we said, if you, if you do hear any discrepancies, just know we've done our research, but sometimes the facts are just not quite that. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, you know, it, it, especially some of this earlier stuff, it's really hard to kind of sometimes pat down because, you know, pun intended, because uh, it, it's just tricky to track down unless you actually get a hold of these people, which, by the way, for future episodes, I am looking to get some, perhaps some celebrity input. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. I got some ideas going on, but I can't speak anymore. Anyway, um, so with him starting off, he starts off in North Carolina. He wins a bunch of different uh, light heavyweight championships, and he actually began calling himself the Show Shane Helms, uh, teaming with Big Daddy Mike Maverick. Initially using the team uh, team name Assault and Battery, that definitely aged very well. <laughs> yeah, that it did. They later dubbed themselves the Serial Thrillers, that's with the Z, and won several independent tag team championships. Uh, the pair also began working in Omega, which, as I mentioned before, the Hardys promotion, which, of course, Omega stands for Organization of Modern Extreme Grappling Arts. I love that name, and I love the acronym. I think that's awesome. Um, so the Serial Thrillers won the Omega Tag Team titles twice between 97 and 98, and then become, began competing for the Southern Championship Wrestling Championships, uh, and even won the championship and also won uh, not only the tag titles, but Helms also won the heavyweight title. Go figure, a cruiserweight wins another heavyweight. Uh, SCW would mark the end of their run as a team, and Helms vacated both titles to be able to move on to NWA Worldwide. Once there, he joined with the Bad Street Boys, which is the team of Joey Matthews, Christian York, and Shannon Moore, and you can kind of see where things going because it wouldn't be too long because they all end up signing with World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, and I mean, right there, uh, right off the bat, like you said, uh, he was teaming with you know Mike Maverick, TC Cruz, Shannon Moore, Christian York, Joey Matthews, Matt and Jeff Hardy, and he was actually one of the ones that helped Shannon Moore become signed with WCW in May of 1999, so just you know very interesting to see uh the crew that he ran with how close he was with everyone and how they they really helped each other out it is it is funny and, and this won't be the last time that we see shane <laughs> i just i just thought of ahead of when we're going to see him in another moment later on uh it won't be the last time that we see shane involving himself with the hardy clan that's for sure but uh, the house hardy yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to get to that part. But anyway, so Helms and Moore end up signing with WCW in May of 1999. Uh, but in WCW, Helms, along with Moore and Evan Carragas, I hope I'm saying that right, um, formed the heel faction known only as Three Count. The trio debuted... I, I know. My God, I know. Uh, they debuted on the December 23 episode of Thunder in 1999. And of course, if those who haven't seen or heard of it, Three Count, as you can probably imagine, is a parody of uh, boy bands like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys involving making music videos and performing songs. Oh my God, I hate this already. 
it, it was funny though because they had so much charisma that they were able to pull it off at the time going back and rewatching some of the vignettes and the music videos that they did it was so satirical and over the top that it just worked it was hilarious i mean and thank they really god they were talented yeah you know they 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 put their all into it and it's a different climate now especially in the music industry but when you go back to that point in time boy bands were the biggest thing in the world i mean they didn't quite reach that michael jackson level of stardom but they were close you know they they certainly had that <laughs> that you know alert to them and, and it, it was amazing to see how much star power these you know two five pieces had so they were everywhere so for them to go ahead and, and be mocked essentially it wasn't a, a far stretch and i'm and I, i'm surprised that you know they they took it in stride they never complained they weren't upset you know all the all the interviews that you hear they just had fun with it any other i think trio probably you know would have would have scoffed at the idea of having to be a boy band in the wrestling industry and instead they made it work and they turned themselves into you know temporary icons it, it was it was certainly entertaining I mean, we did rag on Spirit Squad, and I'm sure, you know, on the very first wrestling retrospective. And the thing is, like, is it like a like a, an eye roll gimmick? Absolutely. Um, and I and and Jake, I can't disagree with you in saying like how hot boy bands were at the time. It's just it it's such a Russoism. But it's such a Russoism, though. You know what I mean? Like, you know. That's what that I mean, can we confirm? Actually, I don't even know if that's the case. Can we confirm that this was done by Russo? I don't know. That's a great question. I'll look into that in the meantime. I, I can certainly imagine that that's something that he would create. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure everybody can let us know uh, post after this, you know, on, on comments and, or on social media or Patreon or whatever, you know, whether or not I, I'm, it has to be because I know that Russo was there at the end of 98 and I think it became like a uh, 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 like a uh, team thing or like a, t a booking committee I don't know but it just it just it just reeks of a Russoism but either way um, I, I can sort of I mean they even had Tank Abbott as a as a manager and enforcer at one time working with them and <laughs> you know it, it's just it's hilarious and as I said they they had their own pop song that uh, Hart had penned called can't get you out of my heart <laughs> so that was that was hilarious <laughs> and they would perform it on monday night show they'd dance on the green screen and you know they would lip sync their songs before their matches and they recorded another song dance with three count which replaced their theme music can't get you out of my heart and uh they did have a long-standing feud with the uh the young dragons um i i don't see anything about you know it being I mean, it could have been, but it could have been a Russoism, but I'm, I, I don't see anything here. Someone might have to let us know. Well, I will say that if it if it if it is, you know, as much as as Russo gets crapped on for for gimmicks, as much as we roll your eyes, I mean, it is a smart move to make it a heel gimmick because you're kind of playing paying to your audience. You know that they're not gonna like this, and so it's gonna you know you know get so much heat instantly. And so I have to give him slight credit that one. But it, surprisingly yeah, enough, yeah, because wrestling fans are are more like typically in like the rock and metal genre. Yeah, they're not into the boy band uh, <laughs> music. No. No. Culture at that point in time no so they were supposed to be faces but they were immediately perceived as heels and they ran with it and they became even more cocky arrogant and and you know a difficult pill to swallow and that made them you know just even more uh you know <laughs> dastardly heels so together they they uh in just three months time worked together to capture the wcw hardcore championship 
they pinned uh, Brian Knobs in on the February 28th uh, episode in the year 2000. And then they relost the title to Knobs a month later, where he pinned all three members consecutively. So that was that was a funny <laughs> moment. In the process, however, Moore became the youngest champion in WCW history. Fun little fact there. And uh, it was after they lost the Hardcore Championship that Helms was legitimately taken out of action with a broken nose. So he was uh. down and out for some point in time, and that's why they had uh, Three Count be joined by Tank Abbott. And in storyline, he was a huge fan. I forgot about that as well. He was a, a <laughs> big, big fan of three counts. So, uh, you know, Tank hung around ringside when three count performed. And that's when they started to do more uh, things of a theatrical nature since Hurricane was injured and unable to, uh, you know, actually compete in the ring. So he would, you know, Tank would hang out and protect them from other wrestlers and eventually started inserting himself as an uninvited backup dancer during their performances, too. And while their feud with the Young Dragons continued, uh, the Dragons tried to steal Three Count's gold album and recording contract. <laughs> and that led to a ladder match at New Blood Rising. Uh, this is where Tank Abbott helped Three Count win and afterwards uh, left with both the album and the count, uh, the contract. And he claimed that he should be the lead singer of Three Count. So all the fame went to his head. And, of course, the three disagreed, leading to a feud between Three Count and Abbott. And it ended when Abbott left WCW soon after. So they never really got to, like, they finished the feud, but I guess they had more plans going forward And with him wanting to, you know, be the leader of this boy band. And uh, from here, they went and feuded with the Misfits in action. Three Count began to have problems, though, as Moore and Helms accused, you know, each other of attempting to hog their limelight and they kicked uh Kragas out of the group and he joined forces with Jamie Noble of the Young Dragons and they uh turned on the other members of the Young Dragons as well so now they were kind of you know different groups teaming together essentially new versions of the Young Dragons three count was now a two-piece and you have three <laughs> teams now they met in a triangle match at Mayhem in November of 2000 and the two remaining members of three count won so Moore and Helms worked together to defeat the other two teams. They also met in a ladder match to decide the number one contender for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship at Starcade. And Moore and Helms grabbed the contract at the exact same moment. So Moore and Helms had to determine who would challenge for the title, and they faced off, and Helms won. He lost the Cruiserweight Championship match, however, against Chavo Guerrero at Sin in January 2001. And there they ended up splitting apart uh, Helms and Moore during a number one contenders match for the cruiserweight title at Super Brawl Revenge. Uh, that night, Moore attacked Helms instead of Hayashi of the Young Dragons. And Helms later eliminated Moore and went on to win that match. So now they're no longer together. And now you see Helms going off on his own. Now, the one thing I wanted to, to also mention, too, is that, you know, as much as I'm laughing about the gimmick and whatnot and how, like, you know, eye-rolling it is, uh, number one, apparently that's how you get music contracts in the year 2000 is through <laughs> wrestling matches. I mean, for God's sakes, we had freaking a custody battle at SummerSlam between Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. We can easily have a record producer, you know, put a freaking gold right i just i love wrestling if sometimes. only slipknot knew this all those years ago they could have gotten ahead of the game oh they should, we should <laughs> have had a napster battle royal back then that would have been fantastic um so, but the thing Metallica is Metallica would not have been pleased <laughs> hey they have a song called fight it i mean it writes itself but um 
the thing is, they had amazing matches. That's the thing is that I don't think everybody like really like understands. Like, eh, three count was was really like get, you know goofy, gimmicky, and even you know it, it, even what Jake's describing as interesting as it is, somewhat hokey and, and been done before. But man, you can't top. They they had some good stuff, and, and it's interesting because at this point in time in WCW, uh, you know, you're talking late 90, 90, 1999 all the way through two thousand into two thousand one, basically to the end of like the very tail end of WCW, the cruiserweight division was like destroyed. Like they had lost pretty much all their major stars. Um, either they had like repackaged them, they had injured left, or they went to WWF. So to have them involved in this and having some really fun, crazy matches, while it didn't have the same star power that it had in the in the in the mid nineties, uh, it still was able to deliver great in ring stuff. But as you mentioned, Jake, uh, I just wanted to slide that reel in real quick. Um, we're now towards like the very end of WCW, and I think Helms ends up actually holding on to the belt, right? Yeah, for quite some time. And and you know, as you mentioned, this was when WCW was was slowly dying. Here previously, you know, the friends that were mocking me for watching WWF were now having to deal with uh, Hogan tirades and the finger poke of doom, and you know, things that <laughs> David Arquette is champion. Meanwhile, you know, we're watching. The, the Rock and Austin feud and, and Mr. McMahon becoming the true evil genius. So uh, kudos to them and their WCW ways. But <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. their storylines didn't, you know, didn't line up in, in you know, the, there was no equality there. But uh, apparently Helms kind of saw the way things were, were uh, headed and he, uh, you know, continued to go as solo as possible and they kind of knew this. So, you know, the two remaining members of three count put aside their differences. They formed a tag team that went for the short lived WCW cruiserweight tag team championship, but they never got their hands on them before they closed. And Helms just continued on with the cruiserweight championship, basically becoming the, uh, you know, the star of the group to, uh, have singles gold. Right, and so I believe, and I hope I, I, I feel like I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, he did. I think he kept. Yeah, he kept on. He kept the cruiserweight championship as WCW was being bought out. Right. Yes. Okay, that's what I want to make sure. I, for some reason, I couldn't remember. So Gregory Helms, Shane Helms, was indeed one of the last champions in WCW before WWF purchased it, and um, well, then the invasion happened. I didn't like bringing it up during the Undertaker part, and I don't like bringing it up here either. Um, to be honest, yeah, unfortunately, and I mean, all three men of Three Count did go to WWE, well, WWF at that time. But I mean, the other two were were as misused as all WCW stars were at that time. So Helms I mean, was kind of the only one that that, that saw some success. You know, we talked about this on The Undertaker Part 2 when we obviously talked about the American Badass. And it is interesting that, like, it's very interesting that the invasion, as much as wrestling fans crap on it, right? And 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 they do, and rightfully so. They crap on it. It hadn't really had any sort of positive turn. But in a very interesting twist, and I, and I might be saying a very bold statement here, Jake. Maybe you can either, you know, shoot me down or praise me up here. I think he is Shane Helms, Gregory Helms, the Hurricane is probably only the one person that I can think of that benefited out of the invasion. He came out at the end of the invasion angle better than he was when he started because of turning into the whole superhero gimmick. 
Yeah, you're absolutely correct. No, I, I give you tons of praise for that opinion there because he really did. Um, everyone that went into or came from the invasion angle walked out diminished in some way, shape, or form. Vince obviously was not going to let any of the opposing team's talent look great compared to his guys. And as we stated with the Undertaker's retrospective episode, uh, you know, a lot of the the big, big names were held under those Turner contract uh, no-compete clauses. So they, for 18 months, weren't able to do anything. So you had an invasion angle going on without Sting, without Hogan, without Nash, without, you know, all the all the big-timers, without Goldberg. And they, they had to take some of the WWF talent at that point in time and have them defect and go and join the other side just to make it look somewhat even. That's why we had Austin, you know, join the, the alliance and things like this had happened back and forth. So everybody that, that entered pretty much, uh, you know, di was diminished or, or beat down and torn apart in some way, shape, or form, except for Hurricane. He came out pretty much beloved by fans just with his charisma alone. So, And, and one of the things I wanted to note on, too, you know, when he had his more uh, – memorable singles run in wcw he then started to go by the nickname sugar shane helms and, oh my uh, god i forgot about that yeah and and what it is and, and it refers to a shoot style hold that used to stretch people you know and, and it's kind of like a rest hold and it was in reference to his amateur background and his history of fighting back when bigger guys tried to get rough with him he would go ahead and you know basically teach them a thing or two so Chavo started calling him Sugar, and then Norman Smiley called him that on TV, and it just stuck. That's an interesting... Hey, everyone, I just want to remind you to make sure you check out the awesome people over at Anchor.fm. Of course, it is a great place for you to host your own podcast. And guess what? One of the cool parts is that it's totally free. Yeah, that's right, free. There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your computer or even your phone. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many others. Trust me, it's so easy. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place if you guys want to get in on it make sure you download the free anchor app or just simply go to anchor.fm to get started name a sugar <laughs> right? I, yeah I'm, i mean i'm i'm very glad now that uh well very glad that he uh, <laughs> changed it to the hurt i just couldn't i feel like it would just get really dirty over in, in wwf if he kept that going into thank god he got the freaking but it, it, the 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 thing with the invasion stuff right is that hurricane for the most or I, i'm calling him hurricane now because it's just easier for me to call him that um he debuted as part of the invasion so he was part of the group and uh, his debut was officially july 5th 2001 episode of smackdown um using oh god these names hollywood gregory helms sure okay brother um <laughs> thank god he's green and uh, like you know yellow hair tie-dye um but he wasn't really featured much in part of the invasion at first because he was just part of like the the backup crew he was he he was the he backup dancers yeah he did come in still being the cruiserweight champion though which which i do give them credit for allowing him to continue his title reign 
Well, true. However, it was short-lived, though, because not long after him you know, being a member of the Alliance, he lost that title in a one-on-one match to another Alliance member, Billy Kidman. And a lot of people were rather confused as to why they would have the Alliance be feuding with each other at this point. So That whole thing with the Cruiserweight and the, and the championship, and that's another, you know, I'm a big title guy, and that was a weird year because, you know, WWF had their own version. They had the light heavyweight championship. And, you know, they try to imitate WCW's, WCW's cruiserweight division, even in my opinion, even towards the end was better than what WWF had. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's like they have the cruiserweight championship. And I think that's really, you know, if you look at um, across the board, I mean, yeah, they brought in like the world title and the tag team. But really, the only two like major championships that like stuck with WWE for the long haul from WCW was the U.S. and the cruiserweight. And so, you know, when the cruiserweight championship, it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have this light heavyweight thing. Let's have them face off against each other and then unify them. It's like, which one are we going to keep the light heavyweight? Like, eh, keep, keep the cruiserweight like that because they, they clearly knew which one was better. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and funny enough, that match is number four on one of you know his all time greatest list. We'll go over you know some of those matches later on, but um, it's just it was unfortunate that these two performers could give you such a high caliber match, but yet they were supposed to be working together. And that's one of the things that Shane had said. You know, I tried to find as many quotes this time around because there's not a lot of detailed information in certain points. So I really wanted to get into his mindset, and Shane uh, admitted that. Many of his friends and former WCW co-stars had to desperately worry about job security in the wake of the sale of WCW, but he said he was not one of them. He was he was someone that felt safe right from the get-go because he was, you know, basically brothers in arms with Matt and Jeff Hardy. They were already huge developed stars for McMahon, and he had friends in high places, he said. You know, he, he they helped him... Uh, make the process of fitting in very smooth and he was very comfortable transitioning into WWE. He felt that he didn't have to deal with a lot of, not so much like the hazing, but the the transitional period that other uh, invasion angle stars had to deal with. But then he said in front of the camera, it was a whole nother story. Although he had friends behind the scenes, he had none in creative, especially not early. And even though he became one of the breakout stars for WCW, you know, between three count and the sugar era, (laughs) he arrived in WWE and they made him drop that cruiserweight title very, very quick. And worse yet, they said, was the management had stripped him of his sugar Shane persona. And as you mentioned, they made him go with, you know, very generic theme music. And now they forced him to compete under his real, you know, name Gregory. So now it's Gregory Helms. You know, the the Hollywood title didn't last long. By the time he defended his cruiserweight title, it was just Gregory Helms. And it felt so blasé and underwhelming that it was hard for him to stand out at all. He was great in the ring. And he had, uh, you know, a lot of this this offensive moveset that was very unique, especially, you know, a cruiserweight at the time was unseen in WWE in that division. They didn't have many cruiserweights when you think about it. Yes, a lot were coming from WCW and, and uh, you know, Chava was coming over and, and all the radicals and whatnot. But uh, there, there wasn't many men of smaller stature in that current roster. So he stood out in that sense, but without this this gimmick behind him you know he was basically unnoticeable he was he was a star that just wasn't shining bright and he often quotes his love of comic books that that saved him so 
it's interesting that um, it just popped in my head because I have a the reason I don't think I'm glad he he did get rid of because I just th- pictured Sugar Cane Shane is what he would have been called if the creative guy <laughs> that just that so many wrong like I like I picture him like a mini Val Venus anyway um, you're absolutely right is that they really didn't put a lot of focus not that they really do much nowadays anyway on the smaller guys. Um, but you're right. It's it, and and I'd never thought of that either about him having a leg up because he was already close with the Hardys, and that's an excellent point. I didn't even think yeah, of that. Very interesting. You don't really consider often, but he said that you know, out of everybody being so worrisome, they didn't have contracts that were signed. A lot of it was handshake agreements, and he was able to get a contract early on and and feel uh, comfortable, which which many did not have the luxury. of. Damn, that's a good point. Now, again, for the most of the, you know, in uh, the invasion stuff, because, and it's funny because when you look at the invasion stuff, right, if you want to say it technically started around June, King of the Ring, that's when Booker T interfered and you saw like the very first WCW star, you know, or DDP or whatever. It really only lasted from June to November. So it was only less than six months, really, because they like cut it dry at Survivor Series. Um, yeah, so, it was very short lived. And thank and God. To think about it. They had to basically throw all of these stars into different categories. And the problem was most of them were relegated to the mid card. You know, right. not many of these talents were considered top stars. It took, you know, DDP never even got that chance. Booker T had to fight, scratch, and claw to get anywhere near the top for quite some time. Benoit, it took, you know, a, a quite a while in ways as well. So, and if you look at all the radicals and how talented they were, I mean, Eddie went through the same plight. And, you know, so Hurricane, you know, said that he went and he always had an affinity for comics and there was something about the green lantern that he always had just a, a a love for. And the ideas that he had caught the eye finally of WWE creative. And this is the time, uh, you know, as the invasion angle still going on that the hurricane was born. Yep, on August 27th, he began wrestling as the Hurricane and wearing the full whole superhero costume. In fact, that night, he had actually won the European Championship with uh, from Matt Hardy with the help of Ivory, but then lost it to Bradshaw only a few months later in October. Um, he was a delusional superstar who really thought himself to be a superhero. You know, that's one of the quotes that I love. The Hurricane got over with the audience because Shane was was fearless, and he didn't let anything hold him back. He made the most out of the gimmick time and time again, and it says here that it certainly showed, and I agree entirely. Rather than being dismayed or disappointed by the turn of events that surrounded his career, he embraced this opportunity and turned it into a positive. And that's one of the things that all of his co-workers know him for. He was always the you know, glass-half-full kind of guy. Again, with the three-count gimmick, the superhero gimmick, anything that he was given, he made the, the most of the opportunity of. And he, he embraced whatever he was given. He submerged and submerged himself in the gimmick entirely, and he made it work. Fans not only love the goofiness of the character, but how he was able to uh, bring that sense of superhero to life. And it, it didn't feel cringy or silly in, in a negative way. It, it felt comedic and was a kind of a breath of fresh air when everything was so serious at that point you know the, the rock was kind of uh, going to hollywood but you had him he was kind of focused all about the money austin was a heel you know a, a lot of things were just very tense and uh down to earth so him injecting a little bit of comedy was a, a perfect setup 
the things they were able to do um, in the next couple of months, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to skim too much over because there's one particular one at WrestleMania 18, and I love that part. But, th- I mean, they just went all out with it, and I really loved it. And in between that, they had a, a bunch of things going on in the infancy of it. Now, this is only, like, the first, like, couple of months. But as I mentioned before, he'd won the European Championship for Matt, and he lost it to Bradshaw a couple months later. Um, in 2001, he had formed a brief tag team uh, with Lance Storm, but in that whole interim, it was managed by Ivory, and then he later picked up Molly Holly, and it became a sidekick to him, known as Mighty Molly. And this stuff I just loved because they had the whole thing where like they had like an custom entrance for their arena. They had like a hurricycle with Molly had her own sidecar. Remember that? Like it was just so awesome. And it kind of makes me bummed about this at the same time <laughs> because this was pre superhero boom you know we had the iron man movie in 2008 so this is seven years before that it kind of makes me bummed you know thinking back like if they timed this the right way they could have made uh you know some really big numbers with this but either way i thought this was yeah all far fun as far and ahead of of the curve certainly and here's the thing you know even with him having the european championship you know he won like you said he won it from matt hardy and then loses it he, he got lost in the shuffle of the evasion still happening at this point and the major issue is that it wasn't just weekly rewrites. It was daily at a time. They were trying so hard to save what should have been the biggest money-making story ever that, you know, it was just running off the tracks at this point in time. Everything was off the rails. They were rewriting things constantly. And hits that they had that they, they were able to garner naturally, they weren't focusing on. So here you have, you know, Hurricane Helms and, as you said, teaming with, you know, Mighty Molly and, uh, he's doing all these amazing things, and they're just not really giving him the showcase that he deserved. And it it, it didn't really come around for him until the you know the, the the demise of the invasion angle, and we saw the 2002 Royal Rumble happen. And here is one of the most memorable moments to me with the Hurricane character. He attempted to summer, summon his superhero strength to oh, eliminate yeah. Steve Austin and Triple H <laughs> at the same time. I forgot about this. And not only was he, you know, flown out of the ring by both of them, just tossed <laughs> over the top rope into the arena floor just seconds after entering the Rumble, but it was the way that he would go ahead and try and double choke slam both of them and you know everything he he was in an unwinnable scenario and he treated it as if he was the only person in the building you know he, <sighs> he such charisma and as you said with the superhero gimmicks really ahead of his time it really was and, and you know going back and watching some of these segments I didn't appreciate them at the time because I just thought, ah, this is stupid, and I wasn't really focused on the comedy aspect. But now looking at wrestling now, you know, older, wiser, all that fun stuff, and looking at, like, the big picture of, like, you know, balance of everything, man, he hit a, he hit a home run. And, and it makes sense now why this gimmick, you know, lasted as long as it did, you know? So, uh, you know, in the interim of 2001, you know, as you said, he was kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit with there. But after the alliance, er, the invasion alliance, like, broke away, he was still doing the hurricane stuff, as you mentioned, the whole 2002 Royal Rumble. Um, he had a couple of other things, like, before that and kind of mixed around in that jumbled time frame. He feuded the Hardys, Big Show, Spike Dudley. I remember there was, like, a Spike Dudley, Molly Holly love interest at one point, And I, I, that was, I think, interwoven. But one of my favorite parts was at WrestleMania 18 when ah the infamous hardcore championship match yep so hurricane <laughs> oh, this makes me miss the hardcore title 
It really does. Like stuff like this made me miss it so much. I and still miss it to this day with the 24-7 rule. And, you know, uh, you and I had said previously, and I know Joe had said as well, with the, all they have at their disposal right now between the network, their Facebook deal, their YouTube channel, why do they not have an internet championship? You know, not, not to take from Zack Ryder, but something like that where all of a sudden a Tuesday at three o'clock in the afternoon, they go live because, Oh, a match broke out at a signing, you know, Zack Ryder's the internet champion and Kurt Hawkins just surprised him in his, in his hotel. And, you know, it, they could go live at any point in time. People would tune in for that endlessly. You know, these are the things that we say creative does not have their finger on the pulse with at times. So I mean, the hardcore it, championship cannot be overstated with how amazing it was at that time. More specifically, the the twenty four hour, the twenty four seven rule. I mean, you think you're right. If they made if they made an internet championship and gave it the twenty four seven rule, that thing could that could thing could feed itself. You you had people popping for that. No questions asked about that. But as we mentioned, as I mentioned, this is one of my favorite parts of it because of the chaos of the twenty four seven rule. There was a hardcore match. I think it was Maven versus Goldust, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and basically through. Uh, the insinuating, uh, you know, constant people attacking back and forth. Um, the Hurricane had won it. He had won the Hardcore Championship and was actually yes, on the he way. Was victorious. <laughs> he was actually on the way to leave the arena, and then Molly Holly with a freaking frying pan. <laughs> It's she bludgeons him in the back of the head with this frying pan, and <laughs> betrays him, stealing his championship in the process. And then, I don't know if you remember this, how Molly lost it. Um, she was running through the hallway, and they had one of those, like, doors where um, it has, like, the split door where, like, you, you can open the top, the top half of the door, and someone slammed yeah. it on her, and it was Christian. And he goes, stand in the back, there's a new champ coming through, and then he pins her and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> and what what killed me, too, is that, you know, you saw it when he first appeared at WrestleMania 18, he would swoop in from out of nowhere and you'd have the whoosh effect that he would make. Oh yeah. And that's part of, you know, his, his unyielding charisma. That was just so amazing. It brings a smile to your face to go back and see him at his time, basically at his peak, go ahead and, and turn nothing into something. He would add his own, you know, uh, uh, sound effects. And he just, even if he had to be his own, his own soundtrack and orchestra, he made himself a superhero. And that's what the fans fell in love with. I was going to say, fun fact, that whoosh sound effect was, a, from what I heard, it was done by him. It was done by Shane Helms. So it's actually, <laughs> yeah. he pre-recorded it and then they, they, they put it into post or whatever have you. But That's great. Um, so uh, at this point, uh, he's now a former hardcore champion, as you do. Uh, and uh, after this, we have, of course, the brand split 1.0 in which Sugar Shane Hurricane Helms was sent over to SmackDown and not too long afterwards uh, captured the Cruiserweight Championship championship once again and really quick i'm going to interject here uh there was a, a show short-lived on fox sports 2 and you know when they had gone you know and, and tried some different things out called wwf metal and i, I don't know if you recall that at all but that that's a, <laughs> a real you know <laughs> harkening back to a, a short-lived time and the hurricane shane helms took on none other than aj styles January 26, oh, crap. 2002. I forgot about that. In a, in a match. And, you know, fantastic match that these two put on. But it was on an episode of Metal uh, before he was drafted. And, and then, you know, before he won the uh, hardcore title briefly at WrestleMania. So just wanted to throw that in there. That's often the, you know, fact that people miss. But him and AJ Styles did wrestle each other in WWF. 
touche. I completely forgot about that, that he was the one that fought him on that one. Um, but, as, you know, kind of going back in the timeline here. So he uh, gets drafted to SmackDown, wins the Cruiserweight Championship once again. It was a triple threat against uh, Tajiri and uh, Billy Kidman. Uh, he then later lost it not too long afterwards in 2002 and in uh, June. King of the Ring lost it to Jamie Noble. I actually went, recently watched that pay-per-view. Hell of a match. And and generally speaking, you know, as I mentioned before, Ruthless Aggression Era is when I kind of came into it. Man, you go back and watch some of these Cruiserweight matches from like 02 to 04. Holy crap. They are amazing to watch. Just absolutely insane. Um, yeah, no, no doubt about it. And then later on, he doesn't actually stay on SmackDown too long because later on in 2002, he actually gets traded over to Raw and you can't make this up. He ends up actually teaming with another masked wrestler, winning the world tag team titles. I actually remember this very vividly. He ends up teaming with Kane. I don't know if you remember this at all, Jake. I do briefly. You know, I I, I didn't recall much of it until I went ahead and uh went back myself to to you know for all the uh preparation for this episode but i i had forgotten that until i had gone back to watch some of now the, the reason that i remember this so vividly is is mainly because at this point in time in wwe there were no mid-card titles so they had unified the Intercontinental Championship. There was no European title. Uh, the U.S. title hadn't been brought over to SmackDown yet. So basically, Raw, which was where Helms was at the time, only had the world title, the women's, and the world tag. So the world tag featured a lot of very strong mid-card talent. And so to have yeah, him in... Yeah, that was what the mid-carders went for at that point in time. Right, and so you had a lot That's of great... That's saw so many mixed-matched teams being made on a regular basis. You know, people that usually didn't team were forced together strictly to get them on TV. But it made for hell of a matches. And they did, like I said, win the World Tag Team titles. I believe there was even a moment where, like, uh, he was supposed to compete in a TLC match. He got taken out by the other tag teams, and Kane ended up retaining the belts, like, on his own. Uh, but it was short-lived. They didn't really hold the belts for very long and ultimately ended up dropping them later on not too long afterwards. But then, uh, Hurricane... Oops, sorry, I got dead, Jake. No, 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 I just, I, him and Kane teaming up was Hurricane, and that always just made me chuckle. Uh, I went back to watch, you know, some of their matches, it was Hurricane. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> well, either way, it was still a fun tag team. I, I, I enjoyed it for oh, the, the brief so interim. Of... Yeah, it made him stand out, you know. As short-lived as it was, him working with such a high-profile, you know, wrestler on, on a main spot on the card brief or not it really made you know a, a monumental year for the hurricane overall so agreed um but interestingly enough hurricane would have a pretty decent 2002 but in 2003 uh i mean you know we giggled earlier about hurricane trying to eliminate triple h and raw uh, austin but interestingly enough he would add a, a kind of a, a mini feud with the great one himself the rock it was also around this time where we saw him introduce the crack reporter Gregory Helms, the Clark Kent of his. Oh, uh, I thought it was later on. I love persona. This. I love this. No, it was it was right about now, and he would investigate the notes and ultimately concluded that they could be you know coming only from one person, the Hurricane's ex girlfriend Nydia, you know, and and he was going ahead and you know, 
he basically, you know, was receiving notes from a stalker time and time again. So he discovered her backstage and then the hurricane was attacked and beaten down by Jamie Noble. And that's what ignited their rivalry. So that that's what led into everything for the remainder of 2002 leading into 2003. But him having the uh, dual persona of, you know, the, the Clark Kent to Superman with him with Gregory Helms to the hurricane. Another fantastic, uh, ang- you know, part and angle of his, you know, just character overall. So entertaining. And the fact that he stuck to the kayfabe so well to make sure because, you know, people would, would kind of joke at times and he would play it up, you know, like, no, 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 I don't I don't know him. But, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I can certainly get get a hold of the hurricane. He would do things like that, you know, the, the old superhero shtick. And it was just absolutely hilarious. You would see him change in the costume at time and he'd hide around the corners. and It was just so entertaining. He did something, too, where like he would like come out and you'd see like part of the costume exposed like. Oh, oh, uh, and just like kind of try to yeah, kind of get away from it. But he did yeah. do the, he did do this very brief thing with the Rock, which was really entertaining. Now, mind you, they didn't. This was not part of the main rivalry. In fact, this was kind of like a subplot going on with him and the Rock, um, uh, going into WrestleMania 19 because Rock was feuding with Austin, and then the Hurricane thing kind of like slid in underneath. But Hurricane actually has a victory over The Rock. You know, and and that's the thing. Uh, The Rock loved working with Shane Helms. He said that they had such charisma that most people say that these were some of the most, uh, you know, comedic and hilarious backstage segments in Raw history. The way these two work together, uh, you know, they, they were able, it was like a perfect synchronicity. They had like a kind of a, a ping pong match in essence where they were able to go back and forth with each other. You know, The Rock calling him the Hamburglar and, and you know, because, you know, things like that. And uh, it wasn't even so much of them having the match, but it, it was just everything that, that they were able to do with each other. And, uh, you know, fun little tidbit here. Shane Helms said that Rock did something on that pre-tape for one of the segments that was interesting to me, and I never forgot it. He kept blowing up the segment, you know, the pre-tape. He kept flubbing his lines and shit, and I was just going, huh. And then one time he flubbed one of the lines, and then he turned to me, and he gave me a wink. He said he kept breaking it on purpose, so we would have to do it live, and now we don't have to go 90 seconds. We can go as long as we want, but he can go as long as he wants. I'm the sidekick here. I remember that little wink like it was yesterday. Huh. Hearing that blew me away because, you know, the the Hurricane and the Rock was one of the best segments they've ever done, most people feel like. And to hear that the Rock enjoyed working with him so much that he actually, you know, purposely sabotaged the pre-recorded segment they were supposed to have on several occasions so that they could go ahead and have more time together live bring such a smile to my face to know that you know it, it, it's just real endearing and heartwarming but this was talked about on the talk is jericho podcast and he was on episode uh, 262 so that's awesome I, that, that just makes me like the rock that much more and i feel like that's not the first time he's done that either no no not at all you know but as i said you know and, and you were mentioning you know this is this is heading into you know the big feud between rock and austin their final meeting and Austin was going through a lot at this point in time. So this was a way to take some of the weight off of Austin by having him appear on TV less. You know, he would he would show up on the on the ramp during the matches or, you know, things like that as a distraction option. 
but he didn't have to wrestle with the rock and didn't always have to have promos either. So it gave uh, Austin a little bit of a break in terms of his schedule. I mean, that's, it, it's a smart move. And obviously I didn't really understand at the time, like why the hell is rock and hurricane feuding, but then bigger picture. And then knowing what we know now, obviously with, with going into Austin's last match, smart move across the board and hurricane gets some good fun. So can't complain about that. Yeah. I mean, Austin almost missed that match entirely. He was in the hospital the night before. I mean, we've heard that, obviously. Yeah, I remember that. Ugh, scary. So the feud, obviously, between the Hurricane and Rock culminated in a match on Raw in which the Rock dominated. However, Hurricane was able to perform a schoolboy on the Rock from behind after the Rock was distracted by Stone Cold's appearance on the ramp. So, you know, earlier in the same match, the Rock took the Hurricane's cape. Uh, which the hurricane usually lays on the turnbuckle after his entrance from the corner turnbuckle. And he put it on and he continued the match wearing the Cape. And then he tossed it out <laughs> of the ring and the hurricane left enraged throughout the rest of the, you know, the rest of the match. So it was just such a spectacle that these two put on teasing each other and doing certain things. It was just the, whether the rock was laughing off hurricane in his ridiculous outfit or the hero was, you know, catching wrestling's most electrifying star off guard, you know, the rock would be standing there and you hear whoosh, and then the hurricane would come in and catch him with a one-liner. It ended up, you know, the great one became the dynamic duo in a sense. And it was just something truly special. I, I cannot, you know, overstate this enough. There's a bunch of compilations. Just search the rock versus the hurricane full feud. You'll see that, you know, in, in its entirety put together uh, on YouTube, people put compilations together and, it's just, you know, so fantastic. You know, like we said, the number one match people go to, not even just because of, you know, the, the, sadly, it wasn't a great wrestling match, but the Hurricane picking up the biggest win of his career when he pinned The Rock uh, on the March 10th episode in 2003, even though it was a distraction by Austin, uh, you know, was it a clean win? No. Did WWE manager screw it up? It says here, absolutely. But for that one night in March, Hurricane celebrated a star-making victory, so... Hey, can't go wrong with that. I mean, I still remember that to this day, you know? Um, and it's definitely one of the more memorable moments of his career, no questions asked. Now, at this point, um, I don't know about you, Jake, but I don't really have a whole lot because there's about a, <laughs> I have about a two-year gap until well, the next major it, it, thing. I have a few things here that I was able to, to dig up. Cool. Um, and after this had taken place, uh, the decision was made to, to bolster the tag team division by pairing up random people together as i was talking about before and one of those pairings was the hurricane being teamed with second generation samoan star rosie so hurricane took the big man under his wing labeling here him the superhero in training so he was the shit <laughs> and that just was always fantastic the rocks you know interactions with these two later is another huge highlight and he gradually showed him how to be an effective hero so rosie's training would last for what felt like an eternity but you know, they, they continued together until 2005. The duo was right. as good as any other team in the roster. And uh, in that time, you know, like you said, that they really just didn't do too much together. Um, you know, he, he discovered Rosie's potential. And on May 1st, Rosie uh, and Hurricane defeated La Resistance in the finals of the tag team turmoil match to win the World Tag Team Championship. Not long after winning the tag team championship, Stacy Keebler joined Rosie and the Hurricane as their sidekick, Super Stacy. So now, Jake, a couple a couple things I want to mention about that one. First and foremost, if you haven't seen Rosie as the shit, 
uh it is absolutely hilarious because while hurricane has like a nice like shiny well you know uh well done costume that you can tell was put in with a lot of money and effort Rosie's wearing like a sock over his eye and wearing a gray t-shirt with a sharpie on it and I felt like there was a huge marketing missed opportunity they didn't sell like a gray shirt with sharpies on I wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if WWE didn't freaking try that for those who didn't see it you know just think uh, of what the B team has now essentially yeah yeah that's actually a pretty good uh, a pretty good comparison and another fun fact I was at that backlash where he won the world tag team title with Rosie I was at that one oh wow um, that was in Manchester, New Hampshire. It's not too far up from me. I'm actually closer to there than I am in Boston. Um, but that was an interesting pay-per-view. And I remember that the crowd was like, I think they were, I think they were either, I don't think they were the last team. I think they were either already in there and they had beaten one team, but they're like, okay, there's no way. And then they won. The crowd actually went nuts, uh, because they just didn't expect them to win. And like we had mentioned before, you know, the end of 2003 is when Hurricane took Rosie under his wing. And then you're going fast forward almost two years, and they really weren't doing a whole lot in between. And so it took that long, but they finally won tag team gold together. And then Stacy came along too, so can't be that. And, you know, it, 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 like you said, it was uh, around this time where superhero movies really started to come and and become somewhat of a mainstay you know the the attention was in hollywood starting to focus on the superhero aspect of of things and this is when production finished on christopher nolan's batman begins and it said here that wwe had a gold mine on its hand with super stacy you know rosie as a superhero in training and obviously the hurricane and comic book fans were going nuts hoping that they'd see more of it and unfortunately the company never knew how to properly handle the group and they split them up in the fall of 2005 and never reunited them. So, you know, a lot of people always always joke around, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself <laughs> become the hurricane. And, you know, it made me chuckle, but it was just very disappointing that they they had to go ahead here. And this is where they, they demasked him to reveal his true identity and made him, you know, say that he was going to stray away from the childish notion that he was a superhero and he was going to focus solely on his in-ring work and become one of the industry's finest. And it was just unfortunate that here now, you know, you're on the precipice of change in terms of Hollywood. The X-Men movies are are box office hits. And, you know, 2001 and the the, the sequel comes out after that, you know, they're, they're really starting to become mainstays. The Batman, you know, trilogy is in, is in, you know, it's it's beginning stages, and WWE decides now to take away the superhero, you know, portion of his. Yeah, it's unfortunate that you know, um, I guess really this is the best way to put it is that at this point in time, right, we're in mid, we're in mid um, two thousand five, and. Um, Keebler wasn't around too long, as I mentioned. She, like uh, Jake mentioned, she yeah. gets ended up going over to SmackDown not too long after joining them. Her and Christy Hemi were, were traded to SmackDown. Weird thing. The, yeah. uh, but unfortunately, as as the peak pinnacle of Hurricane and Rosie, you know, again being together for two years, finally winning the World Tag Team Titles, it's kind of ironic that it's also pretty much at this point, and, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but pretty much a downhill and almost the beginning of the end for this run of the, not only like the Rosie Hurricane tag team, but this run of the Hurricane because it's so weird. As you mentioned, all the superhero movies are coming up and now is when they're deciding to pull the trigger of getting rid of the superhero gimmick. Yeah, it was very odd, you know, they're on top of the world. As you said, you saw them win the titles and, 
they, you know, lost to Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch in their debut match on Raw in a non-title match. Therefore, they earned the title match at Unforgiven in 2005. And during the title match, Murdoch delivered an elevated DDT on the Hurricane to the outside of the ring. And it caused the Hurricane to suffer a storyline stinger. So basically, he was concussed in, in kayfabe. And that would go on to uh, lead to him, uh, you know, during the next few weeks that they would go on a big losing streak, mainly caused by the Hurricane's on-screen injuries. And during the October 17th episode of Raw, the Hurricane was assaulted by Kurt Angle at the request of Vince McMahon. After the beating, footage was shown of the Hurricane ripping off his mask and striking Rosie, and he did not help him fend off Angle, so he was very mad with his superhero in training. And that's the following week, Hurricane no-showed a tag team match, leaving Rosie to face the champions alone. And during the match, this is when the Hurricane, out of costume, appeared at the top of the entrance ramp, reverting to his real name, uh, Gregory Helms. And this is when he admitted that that you know, was his secret identity, and he denounced the superhero gimmick entirely. Rosie was double-teamed and defeated. After the match, Helms announced that he was fed up with being funny for the crowd. He was sick of carrying Rosie as a tag team partner, and he turned heel in the process. And... Therefore, in most of his matches, Helms used dirty moves going forward. So, I mean, it really changed his wrestling style as well. I mean, on one hand, it makes sense because this isn't the first time they've done this either. Where, like, the Hurricane, even though he's the superhero gimmick, like, obviously no one, like, the, the gimmick was never really taken too seriously. We were joking just now and laughing about the memories and moments and all that stuff. It wasn't obviously to be no one i think and i'm not saying this in a disrespectful manner no one ever pictured the hurricane as world heavyweight champion it's just it wasn't that it could get hot it could get red hot but especially with his size and wwe being you know the no the land of the giants and never really mostly they have obviously pushed cruiserweights in the past and put them into you know higher plateaus you know we've seen van dam ray mysterio Shawn michaels and others but uh daniel bryan but um at this point, particularly, it, it's it, it it you can tell that he was kind of quote unquote the punchline, and even more so now because it's not just oh the hurricane the superhero is getting his ass beaten all the time. Now it's almost it is pretty much every time, and so it's yeah, kind they, of they went on a severe losing streak. Even you know uh, losing when they had the titles. Never mind the streak afterwards that they suffered because of his you know on screen injury, and. Here on out, you know, like you said, when they should have been capitalizing on this, you made a great statement there. He became the punchline. People were no longer laughing with him. They were laughing at him. And with the climate of how wrestling had changed throughout, you know, 2006, the ruthless aggression era is in the full swing. It became, you know, kind of reality based, too. So these kind of gimmicks were really hammered down on, unfortunately, and it just did not work in the in the ways that it should have they they should have been able to to really elevate this but unfortunately this is when we saw him subsequently uh wrestle most of his matches on raw's sister show sunday night heat he was he was you know relegated to opening raw you know before raw wrestling in a lot of dark matches and he would not be on raw again until january 2nd 2006 this is, would be when uh, Helms confronted Jerry Lawler over the jokes that Lawler had been making at him at Helms' expense. And Lawler said that when Helms was the hurricane, he was entertaining and called Helms a joke. 
Helms responded by slapping Lawler, and then Lawler hits uh, him back. And the confrontation led to Lawler uh, defeating Helms in a match at New Year's Revolution. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. God. So now Helms not only got his comeuppance by getting beat by Lawler, but he got beat by Jerry Lawler. <laughs> like, thank thank God the next part is so redeeming. But like, this is this is. This is what I'm talking about. So, like, okay, it's like literally taking like this this gimmick or something that you like, right? It doesn't matter what it is, gimmick wrestling or whatnot. And there's one little tiny sliver of thing, like, well, okay, I'm not a huge fan of that. And like, it's like they tore that thing open like a freaking rotting wound. And then that was the end of the hurricane. So then you have an opportunity to reimagine and reinvent Gregory Helms. And you do so, and okay, Jerry Lawler, fine. Not the first time that someone's been like, not. I don't think this is the first time nor the last time that Lawler's been used as like a foil to like, either like get somebody going or like you know be an interim or like. Because I remember Muhammad Hassan feud with him. I think when he first came over to Raw, I think that was one of his first. I, I don't know, but you, you know what I mean, like one of those kind of characters that like, yeah, right? Unfortunately, and he ends up losing. Like what the. F- this is so back. It's so backwards. It is very backwards thinking, and it is baffling. And I mean, they took the full wind out of his sails here, and you know, it, it was just very unfortunate. I know Come. you're you're supposed to be like, oh, well, he's a heel, and and you want to see a face go ahead and take him down. But Jerry Lawler, of all people, is not on the active roster, and you know, with him, yeah, he's a legend, but. It just a legend in a different sense, and it's, it didn't it's, have you know the same effect as him when he was working with, you know, Kurt Angle or The Rock, or you know, you went from the top of the top, pretty much you know, all the way down to losing to debuting, you know, <laughs> people and right. But the other part of it for me is like, okay, I mean, Lawler, he's a respectable legend; everyone respects him. You know, what I mean, he's obvious, you know, and I get your, I, I completely agree with you on that one, Jake. But the other part of it is, you know, he had such a downward trend. And and he had a, a a radical change. He you know as much as we joke about it, it's a pretty radical change to go from what he was as the Hurricane to Gregory Helms or back to that you know persona. And you would think you'd want to give him the momentum after that radical change, but instead you're going to continue the downward trend. Why? Yeah, and uh, you know, so things were were not going to stay this way for too long, though. You Thank know, God we, we were going to see. Uh, a bit of a change in his favor. Helms, uh, he entered an open invitational match for the Cruiserweight Championship at the 2006 Royal Rumble, and he won, even though he was a Raw superstar and the championship was defended solely on SmackDown. So he now made his return to SmackDown in February 2006, and he started a feud with Nunzio, Kid Cash, and the other Cruiserweights. And, you know, he would go on to defeat most of the Cruiserweights, and unfortunately, uh, he was supposed to defend against Kid Cash, but Cash was away in a family emergency, so Scotty Tuhati took his place. Helms defeated him and declared that he was better than all the cruiserweights. Kind of sounds like a, a you know precursor to Enzo Amore, but <laughs> yeah, I know, but much better. You know? Yeah, and as a result, all the cruiserweights uh, at the show invaded the ring and attacked Helms. So we've seen that before with, with the, you know, as I said, with Enzo. It was later announced by SmackDown general manager Playa the, <laughs> Teddy Long that at No Way Out pay-per-view, Helms would face all the cruiserweights in the match for the title. And believe it or not, he was able to retain the championship at that time. So certainly one of those matches you want to check out. And his match with Scotty Tuhati, believe it or not, is is held in high regard as well. Something you want to check out from 2006. 
I do remember uh, this run with him yeah. as the cruiserweight champion for uh, 13 months. Uh, we'll we'll go into more detail in a little bit, but but I love this because again, so he just came off of losing to to Lawler. And then he comes right into the Royal Rumble with that open, and then get, and basically, in my opinion, light a fire under the cruiserweight division's ass again that it really freaking yeah, needed. Yeah, makes it relevant because the belt was treated like a joke again, unfortunately, pretty much in its entirety uh, from when it was brought into WWE. But this, but the the talent they had at this time was they had amazing. And this this made the belt more legitimate, and of course, the, the feud that Helms would have with with Teddy Long, and you know, Long mandated that Helms had to defend his title against the cruiserweight each week on SmackDown to prove that he truly was better than all the cruiserweights. So his first defense under the new rule, you know, he he just kept going, and even if he retained by cheating, as he did. He still managed to, to retain the title. And time and time again, he defeated everyone in the cruiserweight roster. So now the belt was being defended weekly. It was on TV and it was being showcased properly by a great heel champion. So you really couldn't get much better than that for the cruiserweight division at that time. No, plus you know you're going to get a guaranteed good match, not only because of Helm's credibility, but the, um, again, cannot stress how good the cruiserweight division was at this time because you have you know um they just got the mexico so you have super crazy you have um you have psychosis you have um Juventude, you have uh london and kendrick you have eminem you have a lot of these like uh kid Ca i mean kid cash good god jamie noble there's so many good cruiserweights in this one now so for someone who is a big fan Brian of that division kendrick, all london yeah i mean yep. it just keeps on. And here, you know, we, we again see uh, another, uh, you know, top tier match coming up because in, in early uh, March of 2006, unfortunately, Helms suffers a broken nose and he complained to Teddy Long that he didn't want to have to wrestle. And this is during the March 10th episode of SmackDown. And he told Helms that he did not have to defend his cruiserweight title, but he did put him in a match of champion versus champion. Here's where he took on Chris Benoit, who is the current United States champion. During the match, uh, her, you know, Helms attempted to leave and get out of harm's way, but he was blocked by all the cruiserweights who threw Helms back into the ring, resulting in him losing the match. He <laughs> underwent successful surgery after that on his nose and was expected to miss six weeks. During this time, SmackDown announcer stated that Helms had a no-compete clause in his contract, allowing him to waive the 30-day title defense rule due to an injury. He returned on the April 28th edition of SmackDown, teaming with uh, Eminem to face Super Crazy Paul London and Brian Kendrick in a six-man tag team match. That sounds amazing. Yeah, excellent match. Another one that you want to check out as well. And he continued to defend his belt during pay-per-views, but he made more regular appearances on SmackDown's sister show, Velocity. So this is when they, you know, they, they took away some of the uh, you-have-to-defend-it-weekly rule, and he started to you know, be showcased more in Velocity, which was unfortunate. I mean, it is unfortunate, but at the same time, it, it was, it's, 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 how do I put this the right way? It's bittersweet. On one hand, as I mentioned before, he lit a fire into the cruiserweight division's ass. And I feel like for that first like six months or so, or even like eight months, awesome. Great matches. And yeah, he has fortunately the broken nose and kind of things cooled down a little bit. Um, the champion and, and just as they started to cool, they, they mm -hmm. started to, to rise again because uh, he's still continuing to defend his cruiserweight title against other cruiserweights, 
but they started doing this thing where they wanted uh, champions to defend against other title holders in champion versus champion matches. So he faced Rey Mysterio on June 16th, and then he faced United States champion Bobby Lashley on July 7th. He lost both matches, but those still were two high-profile matches. And at this time, Helms became the longest cruiserweight champion in WWE history, right. as well as the longest reigning champion of any kind in SmackDown history. So two huge accolades at that point in time uh, at 2006. And Take now that, JBL. He, yeah, no kidding. And for the rest of 2006, he would feud with none other than Matt Hardy, who Helms exchanged several victories and matches on SmackDown. This, uh, again, is uh, you know a fantastic feud and produced some of the best matches. Not only are these two brothers in arms, as we've stated several times throughout this retrospective, but, you know, they, they work so well together. It, it, it truly was, you know, to pull from their repertoire, poetry in motion. It was magic. Hardy's hometown of Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, saw their uh, the 2006 No Mercy pay-per-view being held there, and that's when Matt beat Helms. The two rivals also joined opposing teams at Survivor Series, while Helms was in Team RKO, uh, rated RKO, excuse me, and Hardy was a member of DX. Remember that when they had DX versus Rated RKO? Ah, oh, yeah, that was it was a great Survivor Series traditional match. It was. It was a clean sweep too. I remember that all the baby faces stayed and all the heels got eliminated. Yeah, Team Whoopsie. Rated RKO got their uh, got their hinds beat in. But um, here Helms went on to feud with uh, Jimmy Wang Yang over the cruiserweight title, and after a tag team match where Hardy and Yang defeated Helms and. Uh, Grenier, the feud ended after Helms defeated him to retain the title at Armageddon. So now we're in 2007. And he continues to defend the title continually. And he his reign as cruiserweight champion, unfortunately, comes to an end. I shouldn't say unfortunately, because he's had the belt for a very long time, obviously. 13 months, jeez. But he loses the title at No Way Out when he was unable to win a cruiserweight open invitational, uh, which saw Chavo Guerrero win the championship. Shortly after losing the championship, Helms formed a tag team with Guerrero, but they didn't win any matches as a team. <laughs> um, I, it's wow, thirteen months. I mean, that that shows a testament yeah. to him too. You know what I mean? Like that's that's insane. Um, the the thing that I found very interesting was that he won it in an open invitational and he lost it in an open invitational. Everything comes full circle. Um, yeah, truly coming full circle. And and unfortunately, here we get to a bit of a a, a dark point. Uh, May 18th, WWE in 2007 reports that Helms had broken two vertebrae in his neck, one of which Jeez. was pressing on his spinal cord, and they were concerned about, you know, the, the risk of paralysis. He underwent immediately uh, immediate emergency surgery with Dr. Lloyd Youngblood to repair, uh, you know, a, approximately one week later after announcing the injury. A few weeks later, Helms was announced to be out for a year due to his neck injury, so he, we would not see him return until late 2008. I was wondering why he was gone for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people didn't realize how severe that injury was, but he almost not only lost his career, but his ability to, to walk as well. Oh, damn. But I, I have had cervical surgery and, and know how, you know, devastating that the, the process is. And that's what Tommaso Ciampa is obviously dealing with now. It, it, it is different for everyone, but the fact that he was able to return at all, even, you know, just first a non-wrestling role, but later to wrestle again is is a testament to his strength and, and ability to make the best out of anything. 
Yeah, I didn't realize that, and that's something that, that you know, again, when you when you do these shows, or when me and Jake do these, when you find this piece of information or find something like this, and you uncover, you're like, holy crap! Um, it's just amazing that like what they're able, what what they able to put themselves through and actually, you know come out i i knew nothing about this i knew that he had taken like extensive time off i wasn't sure if it was like a contract thing but not only that he was injured but injured to like this severity was just nuts but luckily as you said he was able to battle back and come back uh he was coming back a year and a half later uh in september 19th of 2008 uh, eight in a non-wrestling role but still had some fun with the hurricane stuff this is when they would allow him to uh reignite the the love that he had for you know his his promo ability and he would have these little mini vignette video promos called hurrapops and he started referring to himself as hurricane helms again you know it was a it was a modified version of the ring name the hurricane and he, he hears he, he would start mocking all of the heel superstars so we have him now coming back in the face role as the hurricane and he's just going to town on everybody from Shelton Benjamin, Kurt Hawkins, Zack Ryder, The Miz, John Morrison. So he would mock other superstars, you know, throughout the weeks. And he would have his uh, promo end with the catchphrase, I'm just saying. <laughs> Fifth episode of SmackDown where he came back and defeated MVP Montel Vontavious Porter in the ring. Uh, MVP wanted to teach Helms a lesson for mocking him on several occasions in these Hurrapops. And, you know, obviously he was referring to MVP's losing streak at the time. In his ring return, he appeared in a combination of his Hurricane outfit and his Gregory Helms outfit. So he was using the name Hurricane Helms, as I had mentioned. And he began using his new signature move, the underdog drop. So because of his surgery, he had to modify his cruiserweight style and tone down some of the... Uh, excessive bumps that he would be willing to take beforehand thus changing his signature moves around so uh following that he was quickly added into the united states championship picture and he began to feud with shelton benjamin he defeated him in two non-title matches on smackdown one being a tag team match where helms uh, teamed up with our truth to defeat the tag team of shelton benjamin and mvp and it was an easy win for R-Truth and Helms. And although Helms had failed to win the U.S. title against Shelton Benjamin, uh, he did, you know, hold the previous victories over him. You know, it's funny, Jake, with the, the whole U.S. title stuff, I actually don't remember <laughs> the Hurricane uh, being involved with that. I mean, it makes sense. I do remember the Hur the Hurrapops and, like, the I'm Just Saying, but I actually remember more... It's weird how my memory works sometimes. I don't remember him like fighting in that whole like thing in 2008, but I do remember when he jumped over to ECW uh, a couple months later on. Yeah, it was actually April 15, 2009. He was drafted to the ECW brand as part of the supplemental draft. And uh, he made his debut uh, not long after as a backstage interviewer, reverting to his Gregory Helms ring name, interviewing Evan Bourne. And this is where he'd start a storyline where he was interviewing Mark Henry. Uh, one of the ECW staff members was being crushed by a large shelf, whereas Henry was distracted <laughs> back at Helm and was gone. The hurricane then was shown saving the distressed person, then running off. And out of nowhere, you know, Gregory Helms once again tries to interview the confused Mark Henry. So, again, we're back to the fun, silliness of him being the superhero. I am kind of flabbergasted that they're doing this. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, granted, it's been, what, three years at this point since they got rid of the hurricane thing and now they're bringing it back. I was actually... And they kind of missed the, the superhero wave that, that 
could have yeah more <laughs> yeah it is just weird time like I, I, I don't know i i mean then again ecw was a very weird place to be yeah no kidding especially you know the fans were were not feeling what was going on ecw nor can we blame them but it, it's not even really fair to call this ecw but that's a that's a show in its own so uh helms was later attacked by paul birchill uh while Helms was trying to interview him and had denied being the hurricane. And then, uh, you know, that kind of continued with their feud for a while. The next week on ECW, he made his in-ring debut for the brand as the hurricane defeated Burchill. And for a few weeks later, he was attacked by Paul over and over where he was trying to interview, you know, uh, his Paul Burchill's sister. And it just got to be a real mess. Um, You know, they, they just kind of continued to go back and forth at each other and then Burchill was going to expose the Hurricane's true identity, which I thought was rather ridiculous because <laughs> we had already seen him announce his true identity and we had dealt with all this previously. But that's what made this storyline just real infuriating because he had, he had already admitted who he was. I know they were reverting back to the previous gimmick of him having the duality of you know roles with him going from superhero to everyday civilian, but... We knew who it was, obviously. I mean, we were always new, but, you know, that he admitted to him being the Hurricane. So for Paul trying to out him in a mask versus career match, uh, it, it was, you know, just really underwhelming, unfortunately. To, to, Jake, to be fair, I don't think anybody was watching ECW at this point. <laughs> Not even WWE. I don't think they even were watching it. Like, they just go back and the gorilla position is just empty. I think that's probably what was going on creatively. Yeah, exactly. So he executed the eye of the hurricane to Burchill, who was sitting on the turnbuckle um, after attempting a superplex. And he, you know, defeated him in, in just fashion. And again, like we said before, when he had changed his style, this was a new move that he had done in the corner. So he, he's still changing and trying to elevate his in-ring style and dealing with the, uh, you know, issues of injury. Then he begins to have a rivalry with Zack Ryder, and uh, Ryder was proclaimed he was the new heart and soul of ECW. Ryder defeats the Hurricane on the January 14th, uh, 2010 edition of WWE Superstars. And then shortly after, February 26, 2010, after not seeing Hurricane on TV for a few weeks, he was surprisingly released of his WWE contract. Well, stay in the back. There's someone in the employment line now. Oops. Um, <laughs> Stand no, I mean, back. There's a hurricane cashing his unemployment check. You know, it's like. <laughs> but it, it's not like he wouldn't keep himself busy. So obviously, uh, I'm going to kind of like paraphrase this, obviously. But for the next five years, he would continue on the independent circuit. And, you know, again, even in 2010, you know, um, or, or the independent scene was pretty decent. Not as th- I don't think it's as thriving as it is now. Um, no, th- certainly not. But it, he actually was instrumental in uh, making Jersey All Pro Wrestling more of a, a mainstream success, mainstream as far as the you know indie circuit goes, but under his Hurricane gimmick, he debuted October twenty third, twenty ten there, and brought a lot of eyes to that product. And then he went on to work with Lucha Libre USA uh, January tenth, twenty eleven. In the promotion, Helms uh, allied himself with you know Corleone, and in his debut for the promotion. He defeated Corleone's rival, and, you know, he just continued on that way. He worked for PWG, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, during the Wrestle Reunion 5 weekend, 
where he was defeated by Joey Ryan back in 2011. Um, he even went ahead and took part in a 20-man Legends Battle Royal, marking his second appearance of the night, where he eliminated Cruel Connection, but he was later thrown out by Shane Douglas and Terry Funk. So he also then uh, went in April 2011 to the Carolina Wrestling Federation in Mid-Atlantic, where he defeated Rick Converse, and he would win their International Heavyweight Championship. Um, he then returned to the revived Omega brand, now called Omega Championship Wrestling, and defeated Shane Williams to advance in the tournament for the Omega Championship. And then in late 2013, Helms was defeated by Chris Hero at a pro wrestling syndicate event. So, I mean, he kept himself busy uh, from 2010 to 2013, really, uh, you know, wrestling for multiple promotions, as I had said. But he made an impact, you know, a decent sized one, a big splash in each, uh, you know, independent circuit that he ran with. So. I think um, <clears throat> I don't want to make you paranoid, Jake, but I think that he's actually listening because I kid you not. I just went to briefly check Twitter and the very first thing I see is a post from him wrestling at WrestleCon right now as we're recording this during WrestleMania weekend. I'm <laughs> getting a little I'm getting a little spooked by this. But, yeah, he kept himself busy. We're bugged again, aren't we? Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> I wonder I wonder if people would actually tweet these out to the wrestlers. That I'm actually deadly. That'd be great. I mean, we're not. I don't think we're disparaging them. I think we're just no, not at all. We're chronicling their career. Most of them were were talking up, anyways, and and learning a lot about, you know, things that they, uh, you know, that done, accomplished, and and goals they had set out that they had saw all the way through. So, and plus, we're we're really just trying to bring to light a lot of the facts that people don't know. So, and please, um, if we get shit wrong, please correct us. Absolutely. You know, and that, like I said before, a lot of times, even with the research we do and going through the network now, uh, it, it's unfortunate because there are some, you know, d- discrepancies in, in reports. And but we try and bring up as many, you know, direct quotes and things like that. Even just a funny story from back in, uh, you know, when when <laughs> he was working in the WWE still, uh, Hurricane had said that Edge once farted so badly that he had to jump out of a car while they were driving in a parking lot. <laughs> didn't see how fast he went, um, you know, but it wasn't just five miles an hour. Christian no sold the fart, and Edge told the story to Vince, who then asked whether Helms was a man. So <laughs> I love that one. I love story. Story time is one of my favorite things on the network. No questions asked. Yeah, but and it, it's just it's amusing. But you know, we try and cover as many. Uh, interesting tidbits as possible. So if we, like you said, if we do miss or get anything wrong, please don't, you know, don't hesitate. But also I, I, I failed to mention before that, that match with MVP versus hurricane when he returned uh, back from injury, finally, after doing all the her pops vignettes, yeah. that is regarded as one of the top matches from fan. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, him coming fresh back and having some, I mean, you said Benjamin MVP. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good shit on that one. Um, Absolutely. So, um, from here, we see him uh, hired as a backstage talent for TNA. He later made his debut on screen as the leader and manager of the Helms dynasty, and they feuded with the Broken Hardys, Matt and Jeff Hardy, along with other teams in the promotion. And he would be there until 2017, where he announced his departure from the promotion. But I know you wanted to touch upon a few points with him being in Impact Wrestling. 
Yeah, not too much. Uh, basically, you know, we did see him like in backstage capacity, as you mentioned. He did actually involve himself with the X Division, go figure, because he's a cruiserweight guy. Uh, he was involved with helping out Trevor Lee and beating T. Gray Uno for the X Division title, thus turning him heel, brought in Andrew Everett to form the Helms Dynasty. Of course, it would culminate, as I mentioned earlier, in my favorite one of the things that the total nonstop deletion, which I love because, of course, he was thrown into the Lake of Reincarnation and actually re-emerged re 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 as Sugar Shane Helms from Three Count. You can't tell me that's not fantastic. And I also loved how he came back as the Hurricane once more and even like did a joke about like, wow, um, you know, we buried him pretty good. Even the men with three H's would be proud and did like a wink to the camera. I, if you haven't seen the total nonstop deletion at this point in time, what the hell is wrong with you? Go watch it. It's so much yeah, fun. you had to have seen it. But I mean, like you said, he, he gets knocked in, you know, comes out with the Three Count gimmick and he's insulting Lee and Everett's dance moves. And then he gets knocked back in. He reemerges as the Hurricane, where he goes on to help Matt in defeating Lee and Everett. So it's just really, really funny. And I even loved his uh, involvement with the Halloween episode as well. So, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Celebration. Yeah, uh, you know. So on June 19th, he he announced his departure, as we said, from Impact. And we didn't hear much from him until January 28th of last year at the Royal Rumble. He made a huge return as the Hurricane, entering as a surprise entrant uh, for the number 21 spot. He was quickly eliminated by John Cena, but the pop that he received cannot be understated. The fans adored him, and he got one of the larger ovations of the night, well-deserved. It was cool to see him back in the uh, the Rumble, and I remember it wasn't long after that there was already rumors and rumblings of him um, uh, signing with the company as a backstage producer role, which we can now confirm was the case. Uh, in between that time, I just want to make this brief mention that, of course, in June of 2018, he did sign very briefly with Ring of Honor, again, working as a producer and wrestler, including a very fun villain versus hero uh, rivalry with Marty Skrull, which I really liked. I'm like, well, of course, you have a guy named the villain. You have Hurricane putting him over. I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer. That was just entertaining <laughs> in its own right. It's a match made in heaven. And then when him coming back, I've heard a lot of positive things about him being in and one of the reasons why, as you mentioned at the very beginning of this whole thing, again, with everything he's been through his career kind of getting coming full circle is how positive he is, you know, very optimistic and how he's able to encourage talent. And that's one of the reasons why um, he's regarded as like a very high up there producer, not just from, you know, in ring, but he was also doing it in Ring of Honor in TNA. In uh, in WWE currently, that's one of the reasons why uh, you know a lot of people are very happy to hear him coming back. Now, I, before you get into the matches, Jake, as we wrap up this little uh, neat bow on the the Hura career, there was a couple of fun little factoids I want to throw your way. I'm sure some of the, these you probably know. Um, we already mentioned about the Green Lantern thing, what uh, is inspiring his superhero persona. Um, did you know that he actually owns the Hura cycle? It's not like it was rented out. He owns <laughs> I that. I know that. Yes, he That's owns great. the he owns the Hera cycle. And another fun fact that I didn't know about until I was researching this, he actually performed as a stunt double of David Arquette in the WCW move made to movie Ready to Rumble. Ready to Rumble. Yeah, that I had heard before. That <sighs> amusing as it is. And I, I actually like that. that movie a lot. I, I did not, as I said, watch WCW. When I saw that movie, I, I, I did enjoy it. So, you know, it has a, 
a soft spot in my heart with just how silly it was. And it didn't affect me as much as WCW fans. I think that's why I enjoyed it because I didn't have to witness Arquette become their champion. So, <laughs> yeah, right. So that being said, Jake, I mean, that was a pretty uh, awesome career to go through on the hurricane. Why don't you take us some through of some of uh, the best of hurricanes matches? Yeah, um, actually, really quick before I get to that, uh, he, he has had a great quote now being a WWE producer. You know, we, we heard not long ago, obviously, as we said, that he's you know back in WWE backstage, and he said that you work with everybody. They don't give you certain guys. You get certain segments of the show to work on, and you just try and add your expertise and see if you can make it better. You're kind of the middleman between creative and the talent. You just want to make everything better. And that really hit home, you know, he's, he's still that mild manner reporter, but he always wants to try and, and transform everyone into the hurricane. So it, it just really made me smile, uh, you know, to, to hear him say those kind of things where you can see that he just has such an affinity towards elevating talent and, and making sure everyone gets their, yes. you know, their day, their, their time in the spotlight. So again, like I said before, uh, number one, obviously not to, not to, you know, diminish the return, but MVP and, and hurricane Helms on the uh, December 5th, 2008 episode of SmackDown uh, is held in high regards. Also when he was using the Gregory Helms gimmick, taking on Scotty too hottie, the December, uh, excuse me, February 17th episode of SmackDown in 2006. And then we go back to the WCW Cruiserweight Championship match back in 2001, July 5th on SmackDown. That's Gregory Helms versus Billy Kidman. Uh, those are definitely some of the matches you want to check out. Also, Hurricane versus The Rock. Uh, this is number one for a lot of fans deservedly so not really a a you know a powerhouse of technical wrestling by any means but just the electricity in the air the rock wearing the cape the interference by austin the fact that hurricane was able to get the roll up excellent 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 match as far as uh uh, you know theatricality goes and that was in the uh raw on march 10 2003 and uh, another great one to check out is the Hurricane versus Chavo Guerrero. That was the Cruiserweight title match on SmackDown. That's from May 23rd, 2002. And that's number four. And again, number five, like I was going to say before, um, it's kind of a toss-up. You, you can uh, either see Kane versus the Hurricane, which, we, you know, when they, they had uh, broken up their, their tag team, you had uh, Mighty Molly in in. Uh, hurricane's corner and this was for the european title that was october 11 2001 uh that was on smackdown but that is also a tie for me as a honorable mention with the hurricane versus aj styles you can look that up on youtube oh yeah back on the uh wwf metal show i was mentioning before yeah you know it's a rare occurrence to see a young and fresh-faced aj styles take on the hurricane and the Hurricane won that match as well. So, I mean, that, that's a huge victory when you think about it. Uh, that was from January 26, 2002. So make sure you go ahead and check those out, you know, and, uh, and enjoy his breadth of work. But if you don't want to watch the matches, at least go ahead and check out, you know, the, the best of the Hurricane volumes that they have on there. And the compilations of even just him and The Rock are are fantastic you know you really want to see the promo work that these two did together especially knowing that the rock sandbagged the backstage recordings so that they could do these things live 
100% agreed on that one. I, I think, like, you know, just thinking off the top of my head, as I was mentioning throughout this entire retrospective, my favorite moments and just memories from him, The Rock, obviously, him winning the World Tag Team titles because I was at that backlash, and uh, the, the WrestleMania 18, just the absurdity of the hardcore division. Absolutely some of my favorite stuff, but... Um, but uh, that's kind of my favorite memories and moments. I'm glad to see that he's still with the company and still actively helping out talent. Um, just puts a smile on my face every time I think of the hurricane, which is a weird statement to say if you're not a wrestling fan. But that being said, Jake, any other last minute things you want to say to wrap up this, uh, this edition of Wrestling Retrospective? Uh, you know, he's dealt with a lot of trials and tribulations, and we tried to, you know, stray away from... You know some of the like the, the the HGH uh, accusations that were held against him and the wellness violations and things like that. Uh, he even went ahead and got involved in a motorbike accident and was charged with DUI. And for him to go ahead and 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 you know traverse the darkness through those those not so great times and to come out on top like he has, you know he's he's suffered many many injuries as as you know well you know broken legs, ankles, jaws, nose, spine. Uh, yeah, receiving over 200 stitches at one time while, you know, just, just in that accident alone. Um, his his foot had to be reconstructed with four plates and 22 screws. So, I mean, for him to go ahead and not only still be here, <laughs> but to be such a prominent backstage force, I you know, it, it, it it's just a, a great feeling knowing that he's still around and helping people hone their talent today. Um, you know, he has a, a young boy named Sebastian uh, who was born in 2012, who is, you know, the, the light of his life. And I'm glad to see that things are just improving for him and that he's back where he belongs in the WWE. Amen to that. And uh, this has been an interesting, this has been a fun one. I think that, you know, um, it's going to be tough when we go back and think of like our favorite retrospectives, but this was actually, like I mentioned at the beginning, a very fun one for me because of, how much I didn't know going into this. And I'm looking forward to see what the next one's going to hold. Um, not just the next week, next month, but just going into the future with this whole series. This has been another awesome edition of Wrestling Retrospective with my boy here, Jake DeMarco. Again, guys, we're going to put up the poll. We're not sure when and how it's going to happen, so make sure you check all of our social media. You can, of course, hit up Jake at Countdown Ended, and you guys have a chance to vote in on the next two. Not just the first one, but the next two episodes. we got four choices for you. First place will, of course, go first. Second will be afterwards. We're talking Jake Robert we're talking Owen Hart we're going to talk Mr. Perfect or of course Dean Ambrose you guys can put the choices up for the next two episodes on our polls make sure you guys go check it out on the Patreon if you want to get it early of course Twitter at OKFabe at Countdown Ended and of course you can also check out all the other episodes on my YouTube channel youtube.com slash OKFaber and of course also on various uh, social media or podcasting platforms I can't talk Jake too much wrestling going on this week and with Wrestlemania <laughs> especially it's being Wrestlemania week we have so much going on so Again, thank you everyone kindly for the support. The you know the kindness you've shown us is certainly uh, you know beyond appreciated. I'm, I'm left you know speechless at times, and as you know me, I, I'm never not talking. So <laughs> for me to be speechless, it, it truly is humbling. Uh, again, you know every little bit helps. You know continue to support Connor's Patreon, and we'll continue to put out as much uh, great content as possible. You know, if, if Connor does hit that goal, as we said before, uh, you know, of patrons, I believe it was 50 patrons a month, we can go ahead and try and do this twice a month. So, you know, tell a friend and uh, try and support the show as much as you have been. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much again for tuning in. I appreciate the continued love and support. Take care. And as always, take it easy.